beauty there is because most other aspects of being in Kentucky really put me in a lot of boxes and I never have fit well in boxes. <laughs> and there was a lot of ramifications for that. Um, and so coming here has been like a series of like unlearning and like peeling back layers and um, greeting self in ways that are so new because I've been around people who've given me permission and then taken that permission even further through my own work. Hmm. What did you study up at the university? So I started in theater. I've been doing theater since forever. Um, I act. I haven't really acted since Kentucky. It's just like a very intense emotional process. There's a lot of stuff around it that I, I feel like I want to reenter later in my life. Um, but I've always been in the theater community. I was like, you know, I did it. It was eighth grade, my eighth grade year. Um, I played Katrina in Taming the Shrew. Um, and... That was wild. So I've been pulling leads since I was like 13. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I did that. And then I ended up, um, I was definitely like, I just love learning about things. And so I definitely jumped between major and major. I love biology. So I did research in the bio department for a while. And then eventually I ended up landing on psychology, which is where I still am. Um, but at the time it was theater, kind of as a placeholder until I figured out what else to do. Okay, um, let me ask you another question about your bio. You prefer the pronouns they and their. Um, I find, personally, that when I use non-gendered pronouns, it exchanges my perceptions uh, of the people who I'm using them on. And um, so I'm wondering if um, your interest in pronouns and the power of words is related in any way to your poetry. I mean, it's, it's all related, and, and I think, you know, I, I would almost, I could speak, like, kind of poetically about my pronouns. I could go on and on about self and multitudes and always feeling, like, more, like, too much for one person, and also, like, I understand that talking about, talking about it that way is nuanced, and I think that there's more of a place right now in our culture for when speaking about that to be more more careful and grounded in the language I use um and so for me like pronouns I mean I see like identity as as sacred and partially impersonal and untouchable and um I think that the constantly what I've learned is in in loving and the practice of loving others is um, the majority of the time I'm talking to people about how to talk to them and um, it's, you know, how do I say things so that you can hear them? How do I say things safer? Um, how do I connect to, to what you need? Um, and so pronouns to me are another extension of that, another way for me to greet myself and others without assumptions. I've never heard it addressed that way so yes. articulately mm. yeah I really appreciate hearing that that's really good it's really yeah, useful yeah. for me yeah okay, yeah the, when we were talking earlier before we started recording you mentioned that you refer to those pronouns as gray would you ex explain what that means to you what is what is gray I don't know anything about that language or that terminology and maybe some of our listeners might find that new as well mm -hmm. Yeah, just to preface all of it, um, so there have always been trans people, gender non-conforming people, that's something that has always existed, and a lot of people point to how that was way more alive and, and accepted in indigenous cultures and how the binary is a very um, colonial construction. And people, the rhetoric in our culture right now is um, like, what's with this whole like new trans thing or this like new non-binary thing? And people think that it's from out of nowhere and actually what it is is we're just we have language for it now but the thing about is that we're still that language I mean we're negotiating all the time about how it's not nuanced enough it's not matching up enough right mm -hmm. so we're that's why if you read a feminist text from five years ago you'll be like oh my god you know like those words are terrible and antiquated but um so as far as the term gray I, I think it's because uh non-binary in itself is really like an umbrella term um, and so you have, yeah, you can identify as so much under that. I mean, you can identify as non-binary, you can identify as trans, non-binary, and femme, and, um, you know, there's just all these different combinations, and I think that's why we say gray, because it's just, it's, 
I know I'm not a man and I know I'm not a woman, but our society is so polarized and so built around this constructed binary that I just, I just need to be something else. And mm-hmm. that's what we have right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Thank you for <laughs> elaborating. Um, why don't we hear a poem, shall we? And let's remind everyone, I'm Farnaz Fatimi. We're talking with Lawrence White and my co-host is Dion O'Reilly. We are on K-Squid. 90.7 FM. And let's just mention our website too, hivepoetry.org. And you can find us on Facebook at the Hive Poetry Collective. Okay, Lawrence, why don't you go ahead and read your first poem? Okay, this one is um, titled After Karahini. To everyone who has trauma, who has now grown, who has left that house with that family, that partner, that addiction, who hears the voices of their abusers and the songs of their vices. I wanna let you know that that, that is all old light. Set down the blade, turn away from the funhouse mirror you have been made to believe was composed of the straightest sand and silver. Every voice in you that says you are not enough is bodiless. The caustic burn of that impressionable star has died. It may seem like it is you who hates yourself. It is not. It is that star and its stray undying beams that are creating this illusion. You are grown now. It is safe for you to love yourself. It always has been. They just convinced you otherwise. Remember, you too are a superheated force of infinity. That you have a glow that will go on forever in the minds of people you touch. Remember that you too can be kind. That your words can heal. I have been patched up by voices more vital than stitches even while bleeding out. Remember, your kindness towards yourself is the door to everything you've ever wanted from this world. So go. You are so permeable for a reason. It is so you can leave love like light wherever you go without even trying. It will flow through you like the sweetest water, and you will make the whole world new from your baptismal body. As the people you love watch you love yourself, and then them, and then this living without bows or second arrows, They will think first, I am so happy. And then maybe they will think I can love myself too. Thank you, Lawrence. Beautiful. Uh, That was Lawrence White reading after Cara Haney here on the Hive Poetry Collective at KSQD Santa Cruz. Um, This is really a poem about self-love. And you end the poem with, I can love myself too. I think we all know how very difficult it is to love ourselves. And it really seems like your poetry is an attempt to help others and maybe even yourself with that. Is that so? Oh, definitely. I mean, I was really inspired. You know, Dan and we are on that treat together, on retreat together with Naomi Nye and Sharon Olds. And Naomi said, you'll have to remind me of which poet it was. I was actually going to ask you about this. She said that she met a poet at an airport and um, she told her that, um, you know, like, I'm the biggest, like, I'm the biggest fan of your work. Like, I love your work. And then she looked at Naomi Nye and said, but was the poem useful? Do you remember who no, that I don't was? Remember who oh, it my was. gosh. But Fine. anyway, that just, like, hit me. And um, writing poetry can be so many things, right? It's this process, and sometimes I write a poem to move something through me. Sometimes I write a poem to exalt something, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I've been thinking very much about my work and about this idea of having a poem be useful. And even when I'm writing a poem now to move something through me, I want to have it land on like the highest, most developed perspective that I can offer. Mm-hmm. And then through that, share wisdom. Um, and I think that's really been a presence in the way that I've been writing recently. It kind of reminds me of what you said about pronouns, is that it is a way to be careful and more aware when you approach people. So um, that sounds like what you're trying to do with your poetry too. Um, I really see a lot of Christian imagery and undertone in this poem, the baptismal body, um, the every voice in you says that you're uh, well, the superheated force of infinity, um, and you talk about leaving the family, and Christ said that you must leave your family um, if you want to follow him. 
So I'm wondering if you were raised in a religion or if you were exposed in a religion and if that did affect your work. Oh, definitely. Yeah, um, I was, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say forced, but was forced to go to church uh, my, <laughs> until, <laughs> yeah, until I was 18. Um, and then just for some reason after that, my when I turned 18, my parents just stopped waking me up on Sunday mornings. Um, but yeah, that's been definitely, I mean, growing up in Kentucky, growing up with that influence in my family. Um, and just also, too, it just being in such, like, the collective conscious and, like, such a part of our culture in America. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, it definitely, it comes through in a lot of my writing, mm-hmm. um, just that that experience. And so really interesting, because as someone who isn't, is outside of Christianity and has, and in general, I don't read through the through Christianity or through the lens, and I miss things. Uh, when I read this poem, I read many images that are related to, to vision and perspective and what gets illuminated. So the mm-hmm. funhouse mirrors and the light and the stars and the beams and the illusions and that infinity, they're all about perception and how both, and, and redefining the way that people can look at themselves and look at each other. Um, so. A lot. It sounds like these are themes for you and and things that are important to you as well. Um, but I really responded to those that way of reading very much. Similarly, the 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 sort of power of the poem is the way that you can leave love like light wherever you go without even trying. And so for me, I was really moved at that point that the 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 speaker is inviting that both for everybody that is being addressed but also themselves. And that's, I also wondered at the end, Dion, is this an invitation mostly to the self or, 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 or the multitudes outside and self? Um, and it, and it, it doesn't, there's no answer, but I love that it can work both, both of those. It can include everything mm-hmm. and everybody. Yeah. Oh. Well, yes, please. I, I, I didn't really ask you a question, so but I'm glad you have something to say. I just wanted to yeah. let you know how I was reading the poem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please. Yeah. Go ahead. So, um, well, just you bring up something really beautiful because both of your perspectives are true. Um, this poem I actually wrote. Kara Haney is a Dharma teacher at Insight Santa Cruz, and I, I practice Vipassana, mm-hmm. um, and that's my practice now, and which is all about, I mean, finding truth and uncovering and um, coming out of delusion is just the fundamental mm-hmm. part of that practice. Um, and I actually, like, wrote this. She had a Dharma talk, and I was driving up Empire Grade, and this poem just, like, gripped me, and I ended up pulling over to the <laughs> side of the road and typed it furiously on my iPhone and then have, like, slowly, you know, edited since. Um, but it, both are true, right? So so in it, there's this um, Christian imagery, like, this kind of uh, nascent theology that um, I had, and then also there's this um, breaking from it, this idea of radical love and, you know, Fundamentally, love for self, I've learned, is is love for others. And um, the only path to truly loving others is through loving self. Um, so in that way, all of it, you know, it's the dialectic. Both are true. Mm-hmm. Lovely. <laughs> so do you um, have a, a meditation practice? Do you meditate every day? So I'm still building um, daily. Uh, I have a work schedule that's a little irregular, um, so it's been hard to find a rhythm. Mm-hmm. But I do, I go to um, sits at Inside every week, and what I've been doing recently I've found really restorative is doing longer sits rather than doing shorter ones every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been taking my cushion to West Cliff and mm-hmm. like doing sits for like, 35 or 45 um and that's been more I think what I've needed so yeah I do I I, I'm very effortful with having a regular practice well let's um pause right now um in case you have just tuned in this is KSQD Santa Cruz and you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective with Dion O'Reilly and Farnaz Fatima and we're introduced we are interviewing Lawrence White also, be sure and check the Hive blog, hivepoetry.org. After each show, we'll add information about our guests, and we'll also add information about poetry-related events. 
So we know that you sing also, and do you um, do you play an instrument as well? Yeah, I play guitar. So first of all, um, where can people find your music? So right now I have um, one little bedroom EP that I recorded with my friend Alex um, under their project named Chaotic Fudge. So you can find that on Bandcamp. Um, and then another, I have a single on um, a Santa Cruz DIY uh, tape and released by Shallow Dive Records. And the tape's called Stay Gold. And my track on it is called Homesick. So both on Bandcamp. So we're going to listen to that in a minute. Could you tell us what a bedroom EP is? You said you have a bedroom EP that's your, um, that, that you just, the three songs. What is that? What's yeah. that it's it's what it sounds like. It's a, um, a EP that you record in a bedroom. And so the, how that one happened is I was just singing with a friend and I just started recording. And then um, we were just so excited about it. We were like, let's just put it up. And so we did. So literally recorded on an iPhone in a bedroom. Okay. <laughs> to me, it sounded much more exciting. To me, I thought it was something you listen to in the bedroom. Oh, I think you could. Yeah, it could be either one. Our, our listeners will decide because I listened to it and I thought it was really, really were you, lovely. Were you in the bedroom? No, I was sitting right here. Okay. okay. <laughs> so um, let's take a listen to the other track that you mentioned. And again, could you introduce that for us? What's the name of it? It's called Homesick. Homesick. Okay, let's listen. It's a Valentine, yeah. just to at least one person, but mm-hmm. it could be to, I mean, I was just so cuddled by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do do um, you say that you're so cute? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> do you, um, 
Can you tell us about the, the, the relationship between writing songs and writing poems and where the twain meet and how they don't? Mm-hmm. So funny, I don't know why that question, I just like don't have an immediate answer to. You would have think I would have thought, like, thought about it, but um, I think they're both just like so similar in some ways and so different than others. I mean, oftentimes when I'm writing a song, it very much like I write a song because there's absolutely nothing else I can do with it. Like it won't fit into a poem, so I have to put it into a song um, is often what happens. Um, and then poetry is a lot more of like a dissection and then mm. music tends to be a lot more of a, um, I know this is a charged word with some connotations, but an exorcism. So, <laughs> yeah. So did, when you wrote that song, did you feel, um, Exercise? Yes. Did you you feel you were exercising something? Yeah. Um, Well, that one I wrote... So, since I moved to Santa Cruz, I've never felt homesick for Kentucky once. Just, it's never happened. Um, But there was a while last year where I had to leave Santa Cruz for a few months, and I was so homesick. Like, it was, like, embodied. mm -hmm. Like, I was sad. I missed my friends. Um, And then so I, I took that... And then basically just like wrote a song like celebrating like all those. It's basically like a collage of moments I've had with different people here, um, and just mm-hmm. yeah. And that's how it it was. It came out. Okay. I feel like in um, music, the melody can do a lot of work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it can impart mm-hmm. a lot of emotion that um, you don't get. Sometimes I. You don't get that when you're writing poetry. Sometimes I listen to songs and I'm kind of jealous. I'm like, I wish I could write songs because... I agree, the, yes. Then you get could to use the, the melody. Music. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it might be time to read another poem. But first, this is KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. You're listening to The Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Deanna O'Reilly. This, I'm here with Farnaz Fatemi and Lawrence White who is about to read one of their poems. Go ahead. Thanks. This one's called Butter. I used to be afraid of butter. There was no delicate tray or knife to be found. Bread was eaten, plain. Though good, it was a messenger of famine in my ungodly hand. My mother called me sugar. Maybe that's why I don't put it in my coffee. The bitterness, a symbol of resistance. Why, in high school, I told myself that I could only eat green things if I ate it all. It's funny how denial of one pleasure spoils the once insatiable appetite for beauty. Perhaps the girls with teal eyes and their vacant crocodile mouths bathing me with praise were enough for a time. Where was the boy who stopped on every walk to cradle fat heads of peonies in their palm or clutch the stems of the most fragrant peachy roses? Where were those wonder-widened eyes reciting poems to the ocean as an offering, for she is so generous with her body? They were on my stomach, returning, unrelenting to see if the change was there yet, if it was good. I would rather be a bottle than a girl, full of red wine. Pour me into your cup. Eat me with bread and butter, but I am not a girl or an iron gate. I have my own mouth, and it is wide open and hungry for revenge on those who watched me wither and named it good, who met my deprivation with envy. How many times did I have to piss the bed before I learned the toilet in the dream was the toilet in the dream? I do not know. But food on the plate is food on my plate, and your idea is entirely your own, and I want my bread covered entirely in butter. It's got a good mixture of intensity and anger, and then a kind of lightness to it, because I think we all have fondness for butter. Mm. And just saying, I want butter, is just something everyone can relate to. And I also feel like if you ever get a manuscript together to get published, maybe you should call it Fear of Butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be a great name for it. Well, that's interesting, because part of what I think is the, the duality working in this poem is that um, resistance to desire and desire. That's ha- And that's, it's not as light as the, the question of, eating but it's Mm -hmm. it's part of it and to me it's about this this person finding out what desire is and 
permitting one's own desire, although it's sort of in the form of revenge. <laughs> so it's, it's a little darker in some ways. Um, but the fear of butter being the fear of, of saying, I want, um, and I, I'm hungry. And the fear um, of fat is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, for women to be afraid of fat it's, is yeah, a terrible thing yeah, because yeah, we're we, trained to, to be afraid of it. Yeah, we need fat, you know, to have breasts and to feed babies and to have curve and shape. I mean, it's good to be soft and round, but we're trained not to be. Um, and that I would rather be a bottle than a girl full of red wine, pour me into your cup. That's that I just that it's a aversion and attraction happening mm-hmm. in that in that line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by the end the speaker is embracing want <laughs> so clearly. It's it's um it's I think Dion you said this. It's sort of an insistence on on self care and mm-hmm. self love, um, and but it's d- done really uh, refreshingly about butter. <laughs> So would you be, um, would you have something to say? I'm sure you have a lot to say actually, but could you talk about the relationship between food and other desires? It, is it, it comes out obviously in certain ways in the poem, but you might go past the poem as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this poem is definitely my experience with unlearning the shame that was inculcated into me through diet culture. And I think that, you know, the relationship um, to food and desire, I think, is very explicit. And, you know, especially if we're talking about people socialized female, um, there's this whole through line of making yourself small, of over-apologizing, of not having needs, and that being like the paragon of femininity, and also engaging in diet culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So this poem is really a commentary on like saying, you know, I... And my experience in the work that I've done, recovery from any type of um, traumatic abuse, whether that be interpersonal or cultural, if you inhabit a marginalized identity, um, the first step is anger. And that it's not where we want to stop, but it's that that a necessary step is is realizing, hey, wait, like I've been treated horribly and I participated in it. So this poem mm-hmm. is really about getting angry about all the ways that me taking up space and being like, present in the world and experiencing joy and beauty um, were were confined and made small by my participation in hyper-focusing on my body in order to uh, ward off the interpersonal violence from others mm. for the size of myself. It sounds like um, the family is involved here, the mother, but also all the peers. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of positive reinforcement for becoming thinner and thinner is what I see in this poem. Yeah, I, I mean, I see it. I have had multiple friends with um, anorexia who have been at incredibly low weights um, and have had doctors telling them you need to eat that were receiving compliments um, from other people. Multiple friends, oh. like three, actually. Oh. Um, so that's very spot on. Yeah, I was a high school teacher and I saw it a lot. Mm-hmm. I have some questions about how many times did I have to piss the bed, that line, before I learned the toilet in the dream was the toilet in the dream. I just love that line, but um, I'm not sure if I know what I mean. it means except for there's, it's about denial of bodily functions is what I pick up there. and then I kind of wonder if dream has a double meaning of actually been in the, being in a dream and then having a dream to be something. So what, could you tell me what that line meant to you? Yeah, that line to me is very much in um, a placement, putting something where it belongs. And that's kind of, you know, I spoke to the work that I've done is um, taking my shame and actually realizing it's anger and then putting it where it belongs. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of the toilet in the dream is is the delusion that I was participating in that I had to do anything other than nourish my body and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. I think that um, 
what a lot of what when women and people don't understand about wanting to change their body and wanting to be something that they're not is they feel like if they work hard enough and deprive themselves enough, they'll reach some kind of goal that is uh, some admirable goal. Mm -hmm. And really, the hardest thing of all is to really love yourself. And that is the most admirable goal. And yet that's not what they're really looking toward. So uh, I think it's really important to insist on these issues as women, and I'm really glad you are, and you just can't do enough of it, because no matter how far we've come, it just seems like this still is an epidemic in our society. Mm -hmm. I also, I think that that line goes back to me, to the, the theme that I keep seeing in the work that I've read of yours, um, about perception and reality. Mm -hmm. um, and so to invoke the the dream that we think it's so real we pee in the bed because it's the toilet's there um and so that like what what is what i'm seeing real or is it something that's been fed to me as real um certainly in the in the the local context of this poem is about what what is be what does it mean to be beautiful or to be good looking or to be performing as the gender i'm supposed to be performing as um, but I'll, in a in a bigger picture, that's this question of can I can I define real for myself and not have it be put on by other people, which I think is that's what I'm trying to get at. I see that through a lot of the things that you're making. <laughs> it's a really excellent image because I think it's something that almost everyone experiences. <laughs> yes, almost everyone right. has that experience, and it must be a fear of violating social norms. And just letting yourself go. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think that language is is so, I mean, applicable to what it means to um, relinquish control of your body, right? Because if you nourish yourself and stop engaging in diet culture, then your body can do whatever it wants. You know, people say all the time, like, you know, let yourself go or I let myself go. When like actually, yeah, like it's a bad thing. <laughs> when actually, that's like no, you're just giving yourself permission to like be, you know, mm -hmm. to be in the body. Like your body knows. Like feed yourself, and it'll do what it needs to do. And like everything else is like just this monster that's been like created and perpetuated in our culture that is having an incredible impact on people's lives that is like so violent. You know, I mean, people who are in larger bodies, the reason why we avoid it so much is because um, they're ostracized. They receive violence. People in bigger bodies don't receive medical care. They just are told to like lose weight and they've died. You know, there's multiple stories about this. And so, yeah, I mean, all of that is, is being expressed um, through this through this line in this poem. Yeah, the flip side of that is if you go to a doctor and you're thin, they never think there's anything wrong with you. <laughs> well, well, I think that's more like being a woman or being read as a woman. Yeah, <laughs> they never right. think anything's wrong with you. That's what that is. <laughs> Rather than your body size. <laughs> yeah. Well, in case you just tuned in, this is KSQD, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. And you're here with Farnaz Fatimi and Dion O'Reilly, and we're talking to Lawrence White about their poetry. Can we ask you just a little bit about your other poetry activities in Santa Cruz? Um, we know that you, you attend Word Church and Sub Rosa, and could you tell our listeners a little bit about that, those communities? Yeah, I mean, Word Church is just a wonderful space. I um, started going, oh my gosh, I guess, I went there pretty maybe like six months into moving here someone told me about it I started going and um, I mean the people there are just so kind and so cool and like the people who are really like pillars of that community who are like there like every week are just like such incredible artists I mean we have like so much talent here Mm -hmm. um, and then just, yeah, being able to create relationship around my art and being able to go up and read. I mean, recently, so I was writing, I think it was this, yeah, I was writing some poetry recently and just got way too hyper-focused on it and it just mm -hmm. be, became like a, just an unhelpful amount of focus. And I was like, I'm a terrible poet. And my partner was like, just go read something at Word Church. <laughs> and I was oh. like, I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, just go, please just go read something at Word Church. And, and then I did. And then like, you know, afterwards people were like, it was incredible. You know, I just got so much encouragement and like his point was like entirely proven that I just needed to like share my work with others and like be a community and, and check the 
the voice that was coming up. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I love reading there. Tell us a little bit about the format of Word Church and when it takes place. Oh, sure. Yeah. Word Church is on Mondays. Um, The open mic starts at six o'clock and then there's a featured poet at seven. Um, And yeah, that's that's basically the setup. And it's every Monday. And isn't it like near Abbott Square or in Ma? Yeah. Yeah. It's at the Ma, the Museum of Modern or the the (laughs) Museum of Art and History. (laughs) Right right there off Pacific Avenue. What is that? Front Street? Yes. Right Front Street. Yeah. And um, so that's every Monday at 6 o'clock is the open mic and Mm -hmm, 7 is the mm -hmm. feature meter. Anybody can come. Yeah, absolutely anybody. Do they mainly have memorized work or do people read? Mostly people read. It's like great. I mean, it's such a safe space that you can just go and read something that's kind of in the works. You know? Don't they workshop poetry too? Yeah, there's also, yes, there's a workshop at 4 o'clock. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, you can go and, and someone will run a workshop and you can just do writing together. So you can go there at 4 and then what? Hang out. Yeah, and hang, hang out yeah. the whole thing. It's over, what, by about nine or something? Or? Uh, eight, usually, eight yeah. When they so you can make a day out. of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I've done that many times. Mm-hmm. And what else? Sabrosa? Yeah, so uh, Sabrosa, um, I'm actually training to be a collective member there. And we just put on, I mean, all sorts of events. Um, the one recently that I read at um, a poet was doing a book tour and they wanted to feature some other people so um, I went and read and as far as um, I mean the best way to find out about events there is just to go to Sabrosa's website just um, I can't recall the exact URL but just if you search like Sabrosa Santa Cruz and then they'll have their Google Calendar which you can look at um, and there's stuff going on all the time but yeah that community and another thing that they have that's great um, is an open stage not an open mic um, and you can go and just do like whatever and those tend to happen the third Thursday of every month but you'll just want to check the calendar um, and I've done a lot of stuff there that's been really vulnerable and it's just been like really beautifully received. Hmm. So that's sub rosa. Yes. One word. Mm-hmm. And that's all. That's a variety of performing arts and not just writing. Is what it sounds like. Yeah. So it's actually an anarchist community space, um, and all sorts of different things are put on there. There's a lot of shows. There's like, I mean, you could go on on and on. Okay. I I'm Great. actually becoming a collective member there because I want to bring a group there. So. Nice. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap up the show hearing about your literary influences. I'm sure you have some. Um, who are they and how have they influenced you? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, I think the writer that I've been most dedicated to recently is Clarice Lispector, and she um, does write prose, and also it is um, incredibly poetic, Mm -hmm. and the imagery is so salient. Um, And I just really appreciate, I mean, I think the magic of her work is the way that she's able to, like, engage with dialectics in a way that's not um, cliche or trite, Mm -hmm. Um, and I find that, like, so inspiring. Um, I just love her work. Mm-hmm. So both style and content, it mm-hmm. sounds like mm-hmm. she's working on all cylinders for you. I really, yeah. I really love reading her her yeah. shorter short pieces. Yes. Um, so what about in the poetry world? Um, are you reading anybody, or ha- have you carried some some poets with you as you've evolved as a poet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I um, the first poet that I ever really got into, I mean, this is a lot of people, Walt Whitman, um, Song of Myself, I actually wrote a poem inspired by that in high school, um, and yeah, just that kind of like exaltive nature of poetry, um, and then so that translates beautifully into Mary Oliver, who, I mean, American poet darling, we all love her, um, and just also to, um, I just, Mary Oliver is queer and we don't talk about that like Mm -hmm. she was in a partnership Mm -hmm. with a woman like long term and also Mary Oliver went to college and never graduated um so like (laughs) right yeah I just incredible incredible person and her her poetry is really it's it to me it's like reading a spiritual text Mm -hmm. thirst especially one of the poems that I I have um, from well, there's the collection I have one of the poems from it um, here that I could read. But that is when I read that book, it is it is like a spiritual experience for me. Um, yeah, and then uh, Ocean Vaughn is a poet also that I've been into. Everyone's been into, um, <laughs> but I appreciate I mean his work and also the how much he talks about queerness and his work is is really cool and really important to me as well. So, well, why don't we have you read? Um 
a Mary Oliver poem then. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we do, once again, this is KSQD Santa Cruz. This is the Hive Poetry Collective with Farnaz Fatimi and Dion O'Reilly and Lawrence White reading their poems. So why don't you go ahead? Heavy, Mary Oliver. That time I thought I could not go any closer to grief without dying. I went closer and I did not die. Surely God had his hand in this, as well as friends. Still, I was bent, and my laughter, as the poet said, was nowhere to be found. Then my friend Daniel, brave even among lions. It's not the weight you carry, but how you carry it. Books, bricks, grief, it's all in the way you embrace it, balance it, carry it when you cannot and would not put it down. So I went practicing. Have you noticed? Have you heard the laughter that comes now and again out of my startled mouth? How I linger to admire, admire the things of this world that are kind and maybe also troubled. Roses in the wind, the sea geese on the steep waves, a love to which there's no reply. Thank you. <laughs> Such a beautiful opening. Mm -hmm. That time I thought I could not go any closer to grief without dying. I went closer and I did not mm -hmm. die. It's one of my favorite poems of all time. Just like that idea of like turning towards is so important in my work. Um, and I think this poem really, really articulates that in such a beautiful way, in a way that's so connected. You read it really beautifully, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, you, that it's inside you. It is. <laughs> it's very much so. It's a part of me. Yeah, there's just an acceptance, which I actually see in, in your poetry often, too, an acceptance of the grief and mm -hmm. the pain, mm -hmm. which is a kind of acceptance of self. Isn't it a love to which there's no reply? I love that because it is kind of this like unrequited love, loving nature, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's mm -hmm. beautiful. <laughs> what, what poet is she referring to when she says, and my laughter, as the poet said, was nowhere to be found? Who do you think that is? I wondered that too, and I thought I was the only one who didn't know. <laughs> I, I didn't know either. <laughs> I'm revealed. Well, if anyone has the answer, you can go to our website, <laughs> hivepoetry.org, and leave a comment or on our Facebook page, The Hive on KSQD Radio, and leave a comment so uh, you can advise us on this issue. Lawrence, thank you so much for being with us mm -hmm. today. It's really been a wonderful hour talking to you um, and hearing about your approach to the world mm -hmm. language and art and being mm -hmm. thank you Appreciate it's been an absolute pleasure i really appreciate you having me absolutely mm -hmm. i'm farnas fatimi with dion o'reilly and our guest was lawrence white up next we have a segment we're calling who are we reading and this is The Hive's occasional show about books, poetry, poems we're inspired by. Dion O'Reilly will take us from here. So, who am I reading? Well, what am I reading might be a better question because I've been reading a lot of literary journals lately. I just got finished with the New England Review, the New Ohio Review, and I'm in the middle of plowshares. I feel like listening, um, reading journals is a good way to be a poet citizen and to support poetry, and you really get a good idea of the landscape of American poetry by reading the best journals. The plowshares is always edited by a guest editor. This month it's Rigoberto Gonzalez and I'm going to read a poem by Rachel McGibbons called Where the Bruja Provides an Open Invitation to the White Boy in Texas. Blame all the wrong books I read at 13. Blame my cold-blooded birth in late December. Blame the truth for how dark it gets. Blame the bite down, the pinned wrists. 
Dearest, here it is. I wasn't raised right. But I don't need a daddy. Don't want some goddamn gentleman. Romance is for show-offs. Roses, a waste of nature in your fists. I just want a dirty little stepbrother to crawl into the attic with. I never said I was well. Like vanity in reverse, you got the guts to be ugly. I will get down on my knees and I will pray to you. Want enough to steal me from another. Want enough to use your teeth to tear it open. I am all out of permission. Quit asking. I need you to take it from me. Smash and ransack, knock it over. Let's rut like two pigs being dragged to slaughter. Lover, if you are willing to go to prison for the crap you do to me, I promise I will never turn you in. We were born in blood, screaming mad and lonely. We were real back then. It's so cruel how we forget. That kind of honesty takes years to, perf to, per to perfect, so let's get practicing. Scratch my crooked name above your heart. I'll pull you in deep and hard till our rib cages spark, making babies on the kitchen floor. Come on, let me suck you down to dust, down deep into the afterlife. Six feet of dirt can't hold us down. With flies chewing on our hearts, we'll build houses just to haunt. Welcome. I got a big juicy spine you can hang your coat on. That was Rachel McKibbins, that poet. She is a two-time New York Foundation for the Arts Poetry Fellow and author of three books of poetry, Blood, spelled B-L-U-D, Pink Elephant, and Into the Dark and Emptying Field. In 2012, McKibbins founded the Pink Door Writing Retreat, an annual retreat in the United States held exclusively for women, femme, and non-binary writers of color. Well, that was great. Um, I've been reading a lot of journals too, Dion, but I, recently I am... I've been reading this volume, Halal, If You Hear Me, and it's Breakbeat Poets, Volume 3, edited by Fatima Asghar and Sophia El Hilo. And it's got such a great range of voices of um, um, writers from the Muslim community who are women, queer, genderqueer, non-binary, non and or trans. Um, and I'm going to read one from Dilruba Ahmed, and it's called Ghazal. At least that's how I pronounce it. Sometimes, I know we, we were, everyone, everyone has a, their own pronunciation. Should we tell the listeners what a guzzle is? Um, sure. Well, Go let's ahead. see. It, it usually <laughs> has, what, around eight um, couplets, and they all end in, this, in the same refrain. In this one, the refrain is in another. And it's leapy, like a gazelle, which is, <laughs> I think, the the term guzzle is related to that. And each couplet can stand on its own. And I think there's more. There's usually there's... rhymes in it. But this one doesn't look like she does. Oh, yeah, she does. There's a rhyme right before the refrain. It should rhyme with the couplet before. But this one, it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. Hard to hear sometimes when you're only see you're only hearing it and not looking at it. Right, right. But, um, but worth thinking about when you're listening. The, isn't there something about the name at the very last couplet? Oh, that's right. Yes. Also, the yeah. tradition was the poet put their name in at the in the end, and you'll you'll hear that this woman does not, um, but she does refer to a woman, a woman in love. In love. Yes. So that is the poet. Okay. It's wine I need. Is it a sin to have another? No harm in Merlot. No harm in another. In Ramadan, we'll break our fast with dates and wine. Must we pray in one room and dance in another? Crushed blossoms at the end of the summer teach me how to coax nectar from the bloom of another. Burned rice on the stove again. What's to love but my imperfections? You'll forgive me another. 
Butter by a kettle always melts, warns the proverb. Heated, greased, we slip one into the other. When inexplicably you enter my prayers, I hear messages from one God or another. Me encanta cantar cuando estoy sola en el carro. My mother tongue dissolves. I speak in another. Heart thief, enter the fields like a woman in love, vase in one hand, shears in the other. Wow. That is a great guzzle. I'm going to read you her bio from the book. Dilruba Ahmed's debut book, Daka Dust, won the Bakeless Prize. Her poems have appeared in American Poetry Review, Blackbird, Alaska Quarterly Review, New England Review, and Poetry. New work has recently appeared in Adney, Kenyon Review, Copper Nickel, 32 Poems, and Plowshares. Thanks, Farnaz. And if you just tuned in, this is KSQD, Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. You can also find us on hivepoetry.org and on Facebook at the Hive Poetry Collective. And we're going to finish off the show here with Farnaz telling us some must-know poetry news from the Monterey Bay Area. Before I get to the calendar, I want to remind our listeners that we, after every show, when it's posted, we will also add links to the journals that we read from, Plowshares and New Ohio Review and New England Review, also to the book that I read the poem from, and especially we will post links about our guest today, Lawrence White, and their contact information for Instagram accounts and for the some of the music we heard and some of the music we didn't hear. So, so be sure and check out our links for all that information. At thehive.org. Thehivepoetry.org. Oh, I, oh sorry. <laughs> Hivepoetry.org. And again, once again, at, on Facebook, we are the Hive Poetry Collective. I am Farnaz Fatemi, and I'm with Deanna Riley. And stay tuned for Poetry News. Actually, it's called the Must Know Poetry News by the Hive. And um, let's start with... Mm, Tomorrow, Monday, at the Maw, the um, Word Church takes place, at, as we mentioned earlier in the show, every Monday. The workshop will be at 4 p.m. Sign-ups for open mic at 5.30, open mic itself at 6, and the featured poet at 7.15. So get on over to the Museum of Art and History. On Thursday, May 9th, um, a big poetry reading will be at Peace United. Um, get there early for seats. This is affiliated with a university event. Um, the reading takes place from 520 to 655, and it's through the Living Writers series. Uh, Brenda Shaughnessy will be here uh, reading from her new book, The Octopus Museum, and she will be reading with Ellen Bass, our, our very own. The uh, Next week, on Tuesday, May 14th, at 7.30 at Felix Culpa, Poetry Santa Cruz presents Robert Fanning and um, also our own Rosie King. And then finally, also part of that Living Writer series at UCSC, this time up in the Humanities Lecture Hall on Thursday, May 16th, Daniel Borzitsky will be appearing and reading. So much to do and see. Always so much to do and see and always more. Um, we are really lucky to be in such a productive poetry world here in Santa Cruz. Well, tune in for Rick Cleffel next. Celephatron? That's right. <laughs> That's Good it. job. Um, ambient music. And tune in every Sunday here at 8 o'clock on KSQD Santa Cruz for more poetry. 90.7 The Hive. I'm Farnaz Fatemi and Deanna O'Reilly. Thanks for joining us tonight.